A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, it's Stephen here. You're listening to part two of our election results podcast extravaganza. In this episode, Anoush Alva and I are joined by Chris Deering to discuss what the results mean for Scotland, and the New Statesman's polling expert Ben Walker talks us through the impact of the local results around the country. If you'd like to hear Alva, Anoush and I discuss in granular detail the fallout of the election for Labour and what is going on with the reshuffle, you can listen to part one of this double episode immediately before this episode in the same feed. Another crucial part of these election results are, of course, the results in the Scottish Parliament elections. And we're delighted to be joined by Chris Deering, our Scotland editor, to talk us through these. Chris, what was the story uh, of these election results and what does it mean for the future, not only of Scottish politics, but of the union too? I suppose it it depends on where you're starting from. If if you were pro-independence before the election, you will now claim that the result uh, has... um, put rocket boosters behind the campaign for independence. The SNP and the Greens together won 72 seats. And Nicola Sturgeon has already said that obviously this is uh, this is a mandate for her to go to Boris Johnson and demand a second referendum. If, however, you were a unionist before the election, then you might argue that nothing much has changed. Uh, the SNP fell one seat short of an overall majority. Uh, they already had a, a, a majority with the Greens in the last parliament. Um, so that that hasn't changed. Uh, if you look at the number of votes on the first-past-the-post element of the, the two-vote system in Scotland, there were actually more people voting for the Unionist parties than voted for the Independence parties. And so you might argue that uh, there hasn't really been a fresh mandate or certainly no uh, intensification of the mandate and that Boris Johnson is in perfectly reasonable position to say that he will not give a referendum anytime soon. Um, I think for the rest of the, you know, for Scotland, what we're going to see is a sort of war of independence over the next four or five years. Um, And for the UK, certainly in its relations with Scotland, it's going to be a rocky period. The British government's going to try and spend a lot of money up here uh, to to, to curry favour. Although I think for a lot of Scots, it's not really about that. I think the, the, the push towards independence in part from those in the middle really comes from thinking that the British government doesn't do the things the British government should do uh, in the way that they'd like it to. And, and more consideration of that would probably be uh, more of a vote winner than, than building a bridge in near Aberdeen or, or whatever. So uh, it's going to be a bumpy five years. I don't think you can possibly say yet whether there'll be an independence referendum. What there will be is a lot of pushing and shouting about an independence referendum. Stephen, what did you make of the results in Scotland? Well, I think, look, part of it obviously is the same story as as you know the triumphant re-election of the Labour Party in Wales the um, you know huge swings towards the Conservatives in England which is you know the general favourable environment but of course um 
just, I think Albert's point about how uh, earlier about how you know we we can learn from what the Welsh um, yeah what the Welsh Labour Party has done uh, just from going oh competent we can learn from what the SNP has done we can learn from what the Conservatives have done when we look for lessons from this um, election and I think that um, the lessons uh, of, of this election are partly about you know competence as Chris says like the fact that people just don't like uh, the way the UK as a whole is run. But I think it does, of course, create further pressure than I think it is quite difficult to have a fair minded interpretation. And thank you, by the way, to all of our, our listeners for the uh, mounds of election literature that people sent me from around the country. But it's impossible to have a good faith interpretation of people voting Green or SNP than doesn't lead towards at the least a willingness to have the question put again at some point. Um, so I think it does increase the pressure. It also, I think, means that the central problem is not going away, which is then governments get to kind of set the terms and also to, you know, do sort of stuff about changing cultural expectations. And we are going to have for another four years, a government which does everything it does to, to, um, to establish the idea that there is a huge difference between Scotland and England. So yeah, of course, the union continues to be under huge pressure. Alva, you wrote a really interesting piece about the um, failure of Alex Salmon's new party, Alba, to make any inroads. What are the implications of that? Yeah, it's funny. I, that was just a, a sort of a short blog, I think, to to at least mark the fact that there was a point where um, we were seriously discussing what possible damage Alba, Alex Salmon's new party, could potentially do to Nicola Sturgeon and um, the SNP's performance. Not really. I mean, listeners of the podcast will remember when you and I were discussing it right after it launched. Um there wasn't, I think, much of a prospect of them picking up seats um, even then. It just didn't seem like there was a good case for people who wanted to vote for an independence party that wasn't the SNP to switch their vote to ALBA rather than sticking with the Greens or sticking with the SNP, um, which is kind of what we saw that they didn't perform very well. But I think that there was, there was a question then about whether... Alba could do some damage just by making the independence movement look fatally divided. And maybe that did happen a little bit. Maybe that denied Nicola Sturgeon the outright majority that she wanted. But that certainly isn't what anyone has really been saying. Um, and then there's the the kind of funny flip side of it, which is that um, not only has Alex Salmond been denied his return to... Um, to public life in a sense, even though he is still being interviewed in, on quite a lot of places and will still try to be a thorn in Nicola Sturgeon's side from the sidelines. He's been denied a return to the Scottish Parliament. And also, I think uh, the great irony of this is that he's actually helped Nicola Sturgeon to purge all of her or most of her most vociferous critics. So the people who were causing her the most problems in the SNP over the past few years, the Salmondites in the party, the people who were most vocally speaking out against her strategy for achieving independence, all defected to the Alba party. <laughs> and so they're not her problem anymore. Um, so I, I, I just um, did a little blog on, on that parting gift that Alex Salmond unwittingly gave Nicola Sturgeon. Not only, I think, did he not really damage her, but going forward, he has helped her a little bit in terms of some of the really bitter internal 
um, strife in the SNP. But Chris, how much pressure does it put on Nicola Sturgeon herself that there's been an increased majority for pro-independence parties uh, in the Scottish Parliament? Because it's not quite been her priority, has it? Well, no, it hasn't. And it, it does put added pressure on her. I mean, she, the SNP manifesto commits to a referendum by the end of 2023. The problem she faces is that, you know, that would suit her campaigners, her party, the, the wider mm. yes movement very well. But the Scottish electorate isn't actually there. If you, if you look at the, the polling numbers, so obviously polling in terms of independence is split pretty much 50-50. Um, uh, but even in terms of the timing of a referendum, the majority of, of uh, Scots don't want one within the next couple of years. In fact, you're looking at sort of a five-year horizon where most people say they'd be comfortable considering a, a referendum. And there, it's not clear whether that they do actually want one in five years or that's just keeping it at a rather nice distance so that it's always an option, but it never never quite arrives. But within her party uh, and with the Greens and with the fresh mandate that comes with an election, there's obviously going to be an energy. There's going to be the sense that uh, it's now or never, um, that she has to outsmart Boris Johnson in some way. She's already ruled out the possibility of going down the, the wildcat referendum route. She wants to pass legislation in Holyrood uh, to hold a referendum and then she wants to go to court and the British government to go to court and get some kind of ruling on that. It's not entirely clear what would happen in the event that the, the, the courts rule that uh, the British government has the power to uh, to allow a referendum or to deny a referendum. Um, so I don't think her way is in, entirely clear, but she is clearly under pressure now from people who didn't join ALBA but did stay in the SNP and are much more gung-ho about securing independence than the First Minister, who is by instinct quite a cautious politician. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, I don't think it's by any means guaranteed that she'll see out the entire term as First Minister. Certainly, if, if she fails to deliver a referendum, you could see uh, some discontent and talk about need for a generational change uh, coming along. So uh, she will have to deliver something, but, but getting there is going to be her big challenge. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. If you've been enjoying our podcast and want to find out more about what we think and some of our colleagues too, then why not subscribe to The New Statesman? You can get 12 weeks for £12. Go to newstatesman.com forward slash subscribe 12. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. So now it's time for a section we like to call You Ask Us. Us. And for this particular You Ask Us, we're delighted to be joined by Ben Walker, who is co-founder of Britain Elects and our data expert on polling and elections at the New Statesman. And you were updating this absolutely mesmerising map um, throughout uh, the election results over the weekend. Um, and so thanks for joining us, Ben. I'm sure you haven't had very much sleep. Um, uh, not at all. <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> um, but... 
the um, the reason we really wanted to have you on was because we've had a lot of questions asking us about these results and whether or not they actually reflect uh, local uh, issues rather than you know f- rather than allowing us to read too much into national politics. Um, mm. What are your thoughts on that? And can you pick out some particular areas where you think that might en- they might enlighten us on that question? Oh, absolutely. So uh, there are two areas I'd kind of probably like to look at. And, and what, one of them is Sunderland, which counted really early on in the night, uh, to their credit, well done to them. But annoyingly, local issues were at play. So you couldn't project too much from the national picture, although national swings were happening. You just had a local twist. So here's an example. In Sunderland, the Labour vote collapsed. It fell by 15 to 16 points compared to 2016. And most of those gains were for the Conservatives, but also for the Liberal Democrats. The Liberal Democrats scored some pretty hefty wins in some of the most leave voting parts of Sunderland. Now, if you just took that data point and you, you, you'll be forgiven for thinking that, oh, uh, Lee Sunderland voters are now regretting their Lee voting choice. Well, not really. I, I uh, Four years ago, the Lib Dems were gaining in Sunderland. And I spoke to campaigners on the ground at that point, and they were all saying to me, they refused. They, 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 they banned themselves <laughs> from bringing Brexit up on the doorstep because they know voters would tell them where to go if they brought it up. What they campaigned on was really uh, what they saw was a dysfunctional establishment in the area, dysfunctional Labour administration. So um, Kieran Morrissey, who who won the uh, ward, I think, of Hendon, with a 35-point increase in the share of the vote, he, he, he was really saying it was all about Labour Council, it was all about establishment politics, it was all about being an alternative to the status quo in the area. On the Wirral, you saw the same thing. You saw the Green Party score some pretty impressive wins in what it is, well, to be fair, a pretty deprived part of the wheel, Birkenhead and Tranmere Ward, where the Greens got 62% of the vote. These were places that, that, that aren't seeing much in the shape of regeneration. And the Green campaign was had a bit had a huge reference to environmentalism, but environmentalism in local politics isn't as uh, isn't as left wing a subject as some, as some may think when, when we tend to think of the Greens nationally. In local issues and in local campaigns, they don't necessarily position themselves as a left wing party. Rather, they, they position themselves as more like an environmentalist, very hyper local party, which saw them win a significant number of, of Tory seats, Tory votes and in uh, red brick kind of Labour heartlands as well. Stephen and Alva, I'd be interested um, to hear which parts of sort of Ben's Ben's map fascinated you the most. Um, and also what also ties into this conversation about, you know, what people were, ac- were actually voting on. There was the there was the very clear uh, pattern of voting for the incumbent government, wasn't there? Yeah, I mean, I certainly think that that is the, the main thing to take away from these results that unfortunately, um, Keir Starmer hasn't um emphasized very much that as you say we saw incumbents rewarded basically everywhere um i think that the thing that fascinated me um this wasn't actually on um ben's absolutely amazing um detailed ward by ward um england results thing but actually results in in wales um which just confounds any idea that labor is doomed to 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 defeat in the in the so-called red wall because actually plenty of seats like the the Vale of Clwyd for example that Labour lost in in the 2019 general election to the Conservatives areas that voted to leave um, the Labour Party was successful in um, in these Welsh parliamentary elections and I think that that is just 
so interesting because there's the it it raises more questions than I think it answers. Um, but it's certainly a lens through which labour everywhere needs to be engaging um, with the questions of how, of how it retains success and so on. Because on the one hand, I think that that just makes the case for incumbency and, and the vaccine bounce everywhere, whether that's Wales or England or Scotland. Um, but then on the other hand, um, can they look at different small strategic differences between Keir Starmer in England and Mark Drakeford in Wales, and I think they probably can as well. But this idea that I think I, I really have felt over the weekend like there's been this discussion of um, Labour being doomed and this this insurmountable realignment in politics um, that but no matter what they do, they just absolutely can't overcome um, without even without passing go or even considering the results. I think my feeling from being out in Hartlepool was that there's no reason why Labour couldn't win a seat like that. If there wasn't a vaccine bounce and they had fought a better campaign, um, why wouldn't they win there? And and this idea that um, Labour is is fatally um, estranged from certain voters, I, I think isn't, isn't so much the case. So it definitely, I think, Wales um, is a really interesting example. Um, I'd be interested to know what, what you think, Stephen, are the um, results you'd particularly pick up on? Well, I think Ben's um, sort of explanation is, is exactly right and is exactly how to see these elections. And I mean, in terms of the old rule that if you cover Labour long enough, every faction takes every position, I'd be willing to bet the people who are, were asking us in 2019, 2018, 2017, uh, whether or not these lo- were our local uh, are of a slightly different political vintage of the people asking us, oh, shouldn't we look at the local pattern? And Sunderland is the perfect example. Ironically, the one thing Sunderland Council is good at it seems, is counting votes. But they are clearly not very good at much else. There is They hugely underperform um, the, the, the Labour Party performance nationally in, in both good elections and bad. I think they slightly maddeningly didn't have elections in 2018, the one good set of local elections um, than the Labour have had um, since, basically since 2012, actually, which means that it's kind of hard to work out what the exact Sunderland tax is, as it were. But Sunderland is in of itself actually an interesting example of how even when these places don't tell you something locally, they do still tell you, sorry, tell you something locally. They do also tell you something nationally, which isn't the important thing. No, there were there were local elections in Sunderland in 2018, because the important thing that, that Sunderland has, has taught us is that the Liberal Democrats are not dead as a party that can win votes on the kind of like, you know, not particularly on their liberal principles, although, yes, of course, every yeah, in every part of the country, every party has a core vote. But they can they can succeed in getting their sort of liberal core. And there have you noticed that your local council is is not very well run. Now, the other, I think, interesting thing about these local elections is that the theory behind um, mayors right, is that you get a better quality of local government because um, people notice the local government and they re-elect the government accordingly, rather than having a situation where, you know, very good councils are, are swept aside in, in bad times, very poor councils. I and mean, we do often use Sunderland as, as the uh, example, partly because it comes first, partly because... Um, very few councils can point to having a council leader who um, was accused of having killed somebody. Well, actually, it wasn't disputed and he's now dead, but both the person he stabbed and the stabber. Um, 
but you know, Sunderland's obviously the er and most colourful example. But if you take, say, um, I'm going to get my Suttons and my um, my um, my Kingston's confused. But if you take, say, Sutton Council in 2018, where many Lib Dems think they didn't do a very good job running the council, but it was such a good year for the Lib Dems, it didn't really matter all that much. And the idea of mayors was that you you cut all of that out. And what has happened with the mayors? Ben Houchen, who has a you know good record of delivering the pork, re-elected very, very comfortably. Andy Burnham, a good record in office, re-elected very comfortably. Andy Street, um, you know, good record, also slightly less favourable territory for him, re-elected. And as we can see from the police and crime commissioners, which sadly have not been as successful in getting a following and therefore give us a pretty good idea of the sort of generic strength of the parties um, uh, in these, these local elections, got at least 9,000 Labour voters to vote for him. And Sadiq Khan, who, to be blunt, his main achievement is the Hop Affair, uh, an idea that he took from his rival in the leadership election and he introduced four years ago, and has done little other than make Londoners feel good about ourselves, did not do that well against a candidate whose response to that was not to say what he would do better, but that Londoners should feel bad about doing themselves. So I think the other interesting thing I would section is it does show that mayor, oh, and of course, Labour winning against Jamie Palmer, uh, the another um, byword for, I would say, um, you know, failure and incompetence at a local level, um, with a huge level of transfers, which I think reflects the, the theory of mayor's work. Now, of course, people might point to events in other parts of the country and say that the, the risks of mayors uh, have also been revealed in some of the allegations of corruption against uh, mayors and weren't, weren't able to stand and have, you know, facing uh, criminal questions, which they, of course, deny. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think it, it does show, I think, that the, the, the electoral theory of mayors does sort of work. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anusha Kellyan, and my colleagues, Alva Ray and Stephen Bush. And thanks to our guests, Chris Deeran and Ben Walker. We're produced by Chris Stone and our music is Devil with the Devil, licensed under Creative Commons. Thanks so much for listening.